But last week we uh, talked about how the primary reaction to Jesus was one of amazement or astonishment. That uh, he spoke and acted as one who had authority. The authority to forgive sins, the authority even over life and death itself. And it's because Jesus was not only not an ordinary man, he was and is the Son of God. And that's what Jesus proclaimed himself to be. That's what his disciples proclaimed him to be. Uh, That's what the New Testament proclaims him to be. The purpose of the New Testament, really the purpose of all Scripture, but specifically the purpose of the New Testament is to reveal to us that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John said, These are written, talking about everything he's written in his book, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have Life in his name. Now, it doesn't surprise you to know that not everybody believes that Jesus is the Son of God. People believe that Jesus of Nazareth did walk and live in Palestine somewhere around the first century. That's a historical fact. You'll find nobody, a serious historian, that disagrees there was a historical figure by the name of Jesus who lived in and around that time. That he was a rabbi, that he did attract followers, that he did have disciples or students that were a part of uh, his teaching, and that he was executed by the Roman government. And after his death... His followers claimed resurrection, and they organized into a movement that eventually influenced the entire known world. Everybody agrees on that. The fact that he's divine is the sticking point, like he's the son of God, because that sounds unbelievable. I mean, if you really, if you think about it, it does. I mean, you're like, I can agree that this was a great man. I can agree that maybe he was a good teacher. I can agree that maybe he's a prophet of some sort, but the son of God. That's where people start to kind of deviate from what John talks about. It's like, I just don't know that I can believe that he's the son of God. But that's, it's not a position you can uphold rationally if you think about it. It's one thing to say, well, I think Jesus was a good teacher. And, I, you know, a lot of people will say, I love what Jesus taught and I love what he said and all that kind of stuff. He was a great teacher, but he was not the son of God. Well, that's not a rational position to hold because Jesus taught that he was the Son of God. So if he was not the Son of God, then he couldn't have possibly been a great teacher. I love the C.S. Lewis quote, and I've read it here several times before from mere Christianity. See, Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at your feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. And here's the way Lewis ends it. Consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is a God. And why does Lewis come to that conclusion? Because Lewis was an atheist before he converted to Christianity. Why does he come to the conclusion that Jesus was and is a God? Why would anybody come to the conclusion that this 
person who lived in and around this, this area in the first century was and is a son of God. It's because of the death, burial, and resurrection. It's the resurrection that cements Jesus as the Son of God. He is who, if he rose, rose from the dead, then Jesus is who he said he was. And I believe that to be true. And I believe that most of the folks in this room believe that to be true. And I know that most of the folks watching online right now believe that to be true. That's why you're participating in a church service right now. That's why you got up on a Sunday morning and gathered to worship God and take communion and these things. Because you believe that Jesus was and is the Son of God. Not everybody believes that. And I'm sure there's folks here that don't believe it. Or, or it maybe, maybe you're bold enough to say, listen, I'm wrestling with that claim. I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm not sure that I believe that about Jesus. Most of us probably, though, keep that quiet to ourselves. And maybe there's folks watching online that are thinking, I just don't know. I mean, like I understand. I mean, I can get that he was the son of God. That's just a little tough for me to, to wrap my mind around. And it is. I mean, look at the first part of that quote. It is terrifying, and it is strange, and it is unlikely that God wrapped himself in flesh and entered his creation through a baby who then grew up and performed miracles and taught disciples and died on a cross for our sins and after three days rose from the dead. That is a strange story. I mean, if you don't think that's a strange story, you've probably just been a Christian a little too long. And you just kind of forgotten how amazing and incredible that this is. And today, we get to the most amazing part of the story. Because if you join us for the first time, we're reading through the New Testament. We've spent the last two weeks reading through the birth of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And this week, we're going to read about the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And it's his resurrection, to me, that is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And if you've got a Bible with you... <laughs> At the risk of ruining my Easter sermon, uh, we're going to do Easter in November. So uh, John chapter 20, I want to show you what John says about it. And uh, Keith, I'm going to let you kind of, It's the words are on the screen, but if you've got your own uh, copy of the Bible, pull that out. And I just want to read this story together with you. And as I did last week, you know, last week we showed a little bit of the chosen. And I was saying, imagine yourself there. And this week I didn't have a clip from The Chosen, but just imagine yourself there as we read through this story together. A lot of you are familiar with this story. You've heard it a hundred different times, but just try to imagine being one of the women who showed up or, or Peter or John and just listen to this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, John's referring to himself there, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, and he went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then, when the, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. 
Now, if you'll notice in that, none of the disciples were thinking resurrection. They were humans just like us. We wouldn't think resurrection. If we went to visit the tomb of a loved one, we would not think resurrection. We would not expect to find that tomb empty. And so Mary doesn't think resurrection. She thinks somebody moved the body. They either stole the body or somebody moved the body, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and John don't know what to think. I love how John races to the tomb, and he gets there first, but he won't go in. He just looks in and sees the empty tomb. And Peter gets there and blows right past him. And Peter goes in. But John says right there that he saw and believed. At that point, that's when he saw and believed, when he saw the empty tomb. And he says, he explains, you know, they didn't know that Jesus had to rise from the dead at that point. So nobody's thinking resurrection at this point. And then, I never caught verse 10 before. I've read this story dozens and dozens of times. Then Peter and John left Mary at the grave. Like, <laughs> I don't know, they left. They went back to the other disciples. I guess everybody's so amazed and, and don't know what's going on here. It says, uh, they went back to where they were staying. But verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Because again, she thinks somebody's moved the body. She wept. She'd been over to look inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, if you remember how John began his gospel, we looked at that story last week. The first person that Jesus revealed himself to as the Messiah was a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah, and then she went back to the village and told everyone, come meet this man who's told me everything that I've ever done. He must be the Messiah. And then the resurrected Jesus, in John's gospel, the first person he appears to is Mary Magdalene, another woman, who then goes and tells all the disciples, I've seen the Lord. He, he really is the Messiah. He is resurrected. And we don't know if they believed or not. We, we assume John believed because he says he had at that time. But it says on the evening of that first day of the week, verse 19, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Matthew tells a little bit different version of the story. Mark tells a little bit different version. Luke tells a little bit different version. But all of them tell the story that Jesus rose from the dead. And when you read that story... There's usually either one or two reactions to that. One is it sends chills down your spine. Like to read the story of resurrection, to imagine like what it must have been like to be there, to imagine being Mary Magdalene or the other women at the tomb, to imagine you know, suddenly Jesus appears, or imagine being those disciples on the road to Emmaus talking about it and Jesus appears to them, or imagine Peter and John. Like it just sends chills down our spine to imagine Jesus doing what he said he was going to do. The other reaction is, do you people really believe this stuff? Like, that's, that's fairy tale stuff. 
I mean, I mean, I'm, like that's generally the two reactions to the resurrection of Jesus. There are people that believe it fervently with all their heart, and it's, it's inspiring when they read the story. And then there's people that say, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. People who die stay dead. That just, I mean, just think about it. It doesn't make any sense. Or there's a group in between that, like, I really, really want to believe it, but there's something in my rational head and heart that just won't let me. I mean, I really do want to believe it. But the story just seems so far-fetched. How could you believe something like that is true just because you read it in a book? How could you believe something like that's true just because a preacher told you it's true or a, or a dad or a mom or somebody told you it was true? How could you believe that? Well, it's not as far-fetched as you might think. Have any of you guys ever served on a jury before? Quick, quick show of hands, jury duty. How many of you have had jury duty? Not enough of you. Uh, I've had it three times. I don't know how I got so lucky to have jury duty three different times, but I had it like, I registered to vote right after, you know, I graduated high school, turned 18, registered to vote. I mean, within four years, I was on jury duty. And it was in the state of Arkansas. That was the first time I had it. It was a case between Walmart and the state of Arkansas. And Walmart, uh, the state of Arkansas was taking a, a road, widening the road or something, and they were taking a little sliver of land away from Walmart. And so they were arguing over how much the land was worth. Walmart thought it was worth 300000 The state thought it was worth 100000 And uh, the lawyer for Walmart, incredibly sharp, professional. I mean, he was on polished. He was on top of his game. He was incredible. He, he just destroyed the guy from the state of Arkansas. The state of Arkansas guy was lost. Uh, he couldn't keep track of what was going on. He got, I mean, he was just shuffling around. It was just like, it was embarrassing to watch what happened in that trial. But we had sympathy on the guy from Arkansas because he was our lawyer because we were the taxpayers. So we were, our lawyer was represented by the state of Arkansas. So we got in this jury room, a two-day trial over this. Two days. We deliberated five minutes. We split it down the middle. We, got, we just split right down the middle. And when we sent back what we were going to do, the judge laughed and was like, if you two lawyers could have worked this out beforehand, you'd have saved us all a lot of trouble. And he dismissed all the jurors for wasting our time. That was my first one. The second one was the grand jury. And if you got to do jury duty, grand jury is the way to go. So I actually enjoyed my time on the grand jury. But don't, I, whoever's watching this that determines these things, that does not mean I want to do it again. But uh, <laughs> just in case, somebody locally is like, oh, yeah, he liked that. But no, I, I, like grand jury, you meet monthly. And we met for six months or a year or whatever. But the cases keep going. You know, they go one or after another. The last time I served was last year sometime. And it was a drug case uh, here in Columbia. And you guys need to understand, when I get on jury duty, you know, everybody wants to get out of jury duty. So when I get on jury duty, I play the pastor card because that's the way you get out. You know, if you, like if I, if I will say attorneys, especially defense attorneys, don't really want a pastor on the jury. So they'll be like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. And so usually once they hear that, they'll dismiss you from the jury, especially in a criminal trial. But this guy didn't dismiss me he actually wanted me on the jury and then he said something like before all of them like uh well hey wow russ Cox is here well he's a good speaker like he made some kind of compliment to me and i got elected jury foreman that's a position you never want to be elected to do not at first i was like oh this would be cool a jury foreman no you do not want to be elected to jury foreman because i had to facilitate the discussion but guess what we did in this jury, 
We got in a room, 12 people who did not know each other, just got thrown together. We got in a room, and we had to decide whether or not something was true that none of us had witnessed for ourselves. None of us saw it happen. And this guy was saying he did something, and the police were saying he did something else. And we had to decide whether or not this guy did what he said he did. On what basis? Eyewitness testimony. There, we, we sat through a two-day two trial, and eyewitnesses told us what they saw happen. And we had to decide whether or not we thought that was true and whether we not that, thought that was credible based on eyewitness testimony. And 12 people at the end of a couple of hours, sometimes it takes a couple of days, but at the end of a couple of hours, 12 people agreed. 12 people unanimously said, we believe this thing happened. Not because we saw it with our own eyes, not because any of us were there, not because we were being gullible, not because it was far-fetched, not because it was weird for us to do this, but simply because we heard eyewitness testimony, we found those eyewitnesses to be credible, and we decided that therefore the things that they were telling us were true. Thousands, millions probably, of cases a year are decided in that fashion. Twelve people get in a room together and examine eyewitness testimony, listen to eyewitness testimony, and then decide whether or not they saw, whether or not something they did not see is true. And we call that our justice system, but we also call that faith. Hebrews chapter uh, 11 verse 1 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. So faith is assurance of what we hope for, it's certainty of what we hope for, but it's also evidence of things not seen. It's not blind hope. It's not far-fetched. It's not weird. If you think about it from this perspective, if you think about, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead because Matthew saw it, and he saw a risen Jesus, and I believe what Matthew had to say. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead because John saw it, and, and he told others about it. And because Peter saw it, and most likely through Mark, he told others about it. And because Mary saw it, and she told others about it. And because the other women at the tomb saw it, and they told others about it. And because Paul saw it, and he told others about it. And then Paul said more than 500 people saw Jesus after he was resurrected. I believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead because I believe the testimony concerning him, which is recorded in the New Testament, I believe the testimonies concerning him. And I'm not alone in that. Millions of people have examined the same evidence. And millions of people have come to the same conclusion. I always think it's interesting when somebody kind of arrogantly thinks, you know, how could you scoff at the resurrection? Like, how could you believe something so far-fetched as that? How could you be so stupid or how could you be so ignorant? And you just forget about the weight of history and how millions upon millions and millions of people across all different fields, across all different nations, across all different races and cultures and economic backgrounds and gender, everything. Millions have believed that Jesus is the Son of God and they believe He is the Son of God because they believe the testimony concerning Him that He rose from the grave and it is far-fetched and it is strange and unlikely I mean like, like there's, there's an element of that where it is strange and unlikely that this happened but at the end of the day my conclusion is the same as C.S. Lewis I have to accept the view that he was and is God and at the end of the day that's really all we have to hold on to I mean at the at the at the end of the day, that, that's the hope of the Christian faith, that Jesus was resurrected. And if, and if that's not true, then what we're doing here is a waste of time. 
you know, I say this every Easter, and y'all probably get tired of it if you've been at Murray Hills a long time. But if that's not true, then, then we don't need church. But if it is true, well, goodness, then what we're doing right now, right here, is more important than anything else we could possibly do. And it's the only thing that gives us hope. In the last five or six weeks, I've done uh, three funerals. And that's unusual for me. I do some, but it's, it's unusual that I have that many close together. Two of them were COVID-related. And one of them was an accident. Funerals from people in their 60s to their teens. And you stand up in front of a family and try to explain death, which is unexplainable. You try to explain what is right and what is fair. and I mean, death is a disruption to all of that. It's not right, it's not fair, it's not just. And what do you talk about in those moments? Like, what kind of hope can you possibly give someone in those moments? To me, the only possible hope you have in that moment is that this is not the end of the story. That there is more, that, there, that we have a hope that exists beyond death. We have the hope of resurrection. And we believe, those, those young people that were baptized, all of them before they were baptized, I read them Romans chapter 6. And Romans chapter 6 says, if we've been united with him in a death like this, referring to baptism, if we've been baptized with him, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And it's the promise of resurrection. And at the end of the day, when, when we are beat down at our lowest point, when we have given up all hope there is, the only thing we have left to cling to is the fact that Jesus was resurrected. And because he was resurrected, we will be resurrected as well. Because we will be resurrected, there is a reunion coming with those we know and love because this is not the end. This is not the end. No matter how bad it gets, it's not the end. There is hope. This is the great hope of the, of the Christian faith that when we go to cemeteries, we gather at the site of future miracles because one day, Jesus is coming back and redeeming all who believed in him. Let me pray for us, and we're going to close with worship because I asked them to come back out and sing because we sang of the resurrection this morning, and I said I want to close by singing of the resurrection because I want us to walk out of here with that in our hearts and minds. So let me pray, and uh, we'll close with a, with a song of worship. Father, every time... I'm feeling this way again. Uh, every time I preach an Easter sermon, I feel like it falls short. Because how do you explain something so incredible and so amazing and so life-changing that throughout history, generation after generation, there's not a discipline out there that has been influenced or impacted through your son Jesus. That science, medicine, arts, uh, academia, I mean, all throughout it. And millions and millions of people have given their life to you and have given their life to Jesus. Millions of people have done what those young people did and we saw on the screen. And Father, I know there's people online, I know there's people in the room that are thinking about it and, and, and wrestling with it and trying to kind of put this together in their head and wondering whether or not that your son truly is who he says he was. And Father, I ask you to convict them of that. I ask you to help them to see the things that have been written about him, the things that have been said about him, the evidence that is in the scriptures, but also the evidence that is in the fruit of his followers, the evidence that they see of people whose lives are changed when they have no other reason for change. 
and help them to see that uh, no matter how terrifying it might be, no matter how strange or unlikely it might be, we have to accept the view that your son, Jesus, was and is a God. And this is the hope of our faith. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Hallelujah. Praise.